Greetings, friends of the great beyond. This is your ghost, I mean host, ready to take you behind the veil of terror and leftist critique. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Horror Vanguard. My name is John, joined, as always, by my co-ghost, Ash. Ash, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Excited, excited for today. Excited for the Cronenberg Super Show. It is indeed a very exciting time. We are in the second half of the uh, Halloween spectacular Cronenberg extravaganza, uh, and we have two very special guests joining us in the Horror Vanguard crypt: uh, Leslie Lee the Third and Shannon Strucci. How are you both doing? Great. Thank you so much for having us. I'm doing really well. I'm excited. Um, so, so are we, and, um, for, for people who, uh, for listeners who don't, uh, maybe know who the both of you are, what kind of stuff you do and what kind of projects you're involved in, would you maybe mind educating these people and, and letting them know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah. So, um, I primarily, uh, right now am a broadcast journalist hosting the struggle session podcast where we talk about movies books video games all sorts music all sorts of culture uh from a you know leftist perspective where we you know talk about you know and it's called struggle session because as you know good leftists we find a lot of things problematic but (laughs) we don't cancel them like you can still enjoy you know uh 24 while recognizing that it's an awful product of extremely (laughs) you know phobic phobic uh moment uh in american history like it that's why it's called struggle session we struggle with these things we talk about these things we love these things even though they are flawed Mm mm-hmm um, I am Struggle Sessions film correspondent. I'm uh, also on a, a teenage superhero body horror actual play podcast called Critical Bits. Very appropriate uh, for talking about Cronenberg. <laughs> and I'm a, a video essayist and short filmmaker on YouTube at Strucci Movies as well. Brilliant. Thank you both so much. And uh cannot recommend uh struggle session and critical bits enough struggle session our fellow goth socialists in the goth socialist podcasters <laughs> caucus it is growing the movement is real um and please do check out shannon's um video essays on youtube they're amazing thank you um all will be linked in the show notes as well um but as we mentioned we are talking cronenberg we are taking two just oh, so good films i'm so excited for today um we're going to talk about scanners we're going to talk about videodrome two classic slices of cronenberg um but as is tradition on horror vanguard it is time for ash to provide um 100 accurate and completely infallible spoiler heavy <laughs> plot recaps of the films in question um, oh, y- y'all are infallible too. Oh, I, 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 didn't, I knew I knew that we were you know perfectly objective over there. Yeah, we're, on you're a in struggle good company. It's, oh, a, good. it's a, it's a, it's a goth superpower. Always... We we can never be wrong. Yeah, we're always correct. Right. Yes, <laughs> we're just, we're just uh, increasingly it, we nuanced. Un- yeah, undefeated, undefeated online <laughs> in terms of our opinions. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I, it was nice to have some more some company. <laughs> 
Finally, guests that are so, on our so, level. This is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ash, what are these? What are these films about? Doctor Oblivion, the the greatest, uh, absolutely ham fisted metaphor name for a character that has ever happened. Ten out of ten. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what it would be like to adopt a pseudonym and live out a semi anonymous life where every moment of your human interaction is mediated through a screen? Well then, welcome to Twitterdrome, the movie where people absorb a constant <laughs> stream of horrific information until it turns them into the monsters they once viewed with horror. Come for the spectacle, stay because we're all just commenting, long live the new flesh, because it's a meme now for some reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's start there. So, um, so what, f- yeah, first impressions, what do we think of, what did you, what did you think of Videodrome? Well, I have to say that's a really good summary because this is a film about uh, posting what it's like to be a poster. Um, you want to know what it's like to be a soldier in the posting wars. Yes. This is, this David Cronenberg like, knows. He knew beforehand. Like, I remember first seeing, you know, Videodrome when it started being kind of a meme. Um, I think this is one of those uh, Cronenbergs that's kind of been, uh, was f- forgotten for a while, but has been rediscovered. And the first time I watched it, of course, I was blown away. Like, what the fuck is this? It's so weird and sexual and grotesque and haunting. And what it, it... Brought, what it brought to me is like it tapped into like a n- nostalgia center in my brain. I watched this like while I was in probably in college, maybe in a little bit after. So this was already like post like Facebook. It's not even like Friendster anymore. It's like Facebook. <laughs> we are f- firmly into Web 1.0, moving into 1.2.0. Uh, Everybody, you know, is getting online. Uh, media is changing. People are cut cord cutting. Netflix is, you know, just around the corner. Um, we're all pirating and stuff. And what it tapped into was that feeling that I had when I was a kid, when some other kid would tell me like he or his uncle had a satellite dish <laughs> and like how, what the amazing thing. I don't th- Shannon, I don't think you could really like, I think you're too young to identify uh, with this yeah. really, but like having a satellite dish meant that like you had like access to the world. <laughs> like you could see anything and do anything. You were like Neo in the fucking, <laughs> at the end of the matrix where you were just seeing the number streaming by that's what it meant to have a satellite dish because you know even with cable you only have like 40 you know curated channels they're all safe and secure and you know what's all on gonna be on all of them but a satellite dish you have no idea what people are out there broadcasting you have no idea what you can pick up and just that idea of having a satellite dish i used to think God, when I grow up, I'm going to fucking buy a satellite dish so I can get like te- te- uh, television stations from Japan. I want to see everything that's going on in the world. And of course, of course, fast forward to now. And we all have that in our pocket. And it's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's the worst thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to watch any of these channels. <laughs> I want to turn Videodrome off, but it won't stop. Like So it, it taps into this kind of not necessarily a canceled future because uh, even though it kind of is because it did feel a little bit futuristic and the way it uh, set talks about satellites and TV and all that stuff. But like we didn't, we went so far down that path that it 
doesn't like like that path isn't recognizable anymore like a satellite dish isn't a thing anymore tv doesn't matter anymore we do have access to everything that's being filmed instantaneously but it doesn't feel special or unique or interesting it's just depressing (laughs) yeah um i i didn't grow up with satellite but i did 100 percent grow up on the internet which has poisoned my brain absolutely forever and I think after, like, I mean, I've opened, I've talked about it before online that I grew up, I, I was like a 4chan poster. I grew up in like really dark forums and stuff like that. Um, so it's not like this movie is quaint. I would not call it quaint. I think it still has a lot of bite uh, and I love it. But I, I think growing up from a young age, being exposed to that kind of stuff or like shock videos or accidentally or like having friends who watch beheading videos or whatever. Um, I think it was probably a little bit different for me and and the first time i saw it was actually a my friend's college class her professor was projecting a vhs copy of it and i asked permission huh? to come in and watch so i got to see like a vhs copy with like a small audience and that was i think the ideal way to watch it it yeah, looks really good definitely. i watched it uh this afternoon on like voodoo or whatever i rented it and it looked really good in hd too but i was like damn that was fun <laughs> <laughs> what about you ash yeah, so I, f- I first saw Videodrome when I was like, oh, God, I was like 10 or 11. I was a tween. Um, and there was like, there oh, was like wow. one, of the, one of those cool old, older guys who worked the register at the local Hollywood video, which uh, for, for you kids out there was imagine YouTube, but all of the videos are locked in these plastic boxes and you have to like. <laughs> I did go to Blockbuster. I'm not too young to remember <laughs> Blockbuster and VHS tapes. Yes. It's, it sounds like I might be like that because like, I'm, I'm from like that border generation where like the the internet didn't really exist as a useful thing until I was like 13 or 14. And then mm. like, you know, so I'm like, I'm already in college by the time everyone is like deep into this, like everyone is online culture, 4chan stuff. But I'm also like too young to really appreciate the heyday of like VHS rental. So I'm like trapped in this void. But anyway. So I, I rent I rent the movie because I was like, whoa, look at this cover. This looks crazy. I'm I'm mature and young. And I, I take it home and I my mind was just completely shredded by this film. And I was like, mm, nope, <laughs> never watching a Cronenberg movie ever again. So so that was that was my that's my history with this film. And I feel like it gave me really unrealistic expectations about where you can and cannot insert a VHS tape. So I feel like, like that <laughs> speaks to some of the problematic qualities of the film. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I mean, my first impression of this was just how good the... We, we talked about this previously, but how good the casting is. Uh, yeah. J- James Woods uh, <laughs> as yep. Max Wren, who is the president of this like trashy... Uh, TV channel that's way in the eighties in the on the on the in the in the program guide. You got to find it. Desperately trying to find kind of like new shocking stuff, and he stumbles across this this weird broadcast of uh, like violent, sexualized torture and death. And he goes, "Yeah, let's put this on the air. Let's put this into people's brains and see what it does." But James Woods is so good, and I think if we take this film as an analogy for posting. James Woods in Videodrome and just James Woods now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this this is what happens to you. This it's is a one to one. It's this tumor. <laughs> it's like a brain tumor uh, that makes him say awful shit on Twitter. 
Yeah. Is, is, like, the, is this speaking his of the picture of Dorian Gray? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, speaking of casting, have to mention as a, I love music, love post-punk. Debbie oh, Harry right. stars in this movie, and that just blows me away. It just blows me away. Like the hottest, coolest, most famous woman on earth a few years before this film comes out and you know now she's you know doing her acting thing and she hooks up with like david cronenberg this you know b-movie auteur and he puts her in this weird s&m technological sex violent weird grotesque thing and it's and she's just so good in it first of all and it's just like amazing to see her in it like you will not see taylor swift in like anything <laughs> like this or anything no. like it's just not gonna happen but like in the 80s like anything was possible what a vision yeah, for totally. a future you're not gonna yeah i mean I, I think it's really interesting, Shannon, that you watch this and go, oh, that's that's kind of quaint. It's not <laughs> quaint. It's just like I was exposed to worse than all this by the time I was 10, just accidentally mm -hmm. on the Internet. You know, yeah, the click on it, people it, like killing animals or, or like you that you just see that if you especially at that time period, like late 90s, so early 2000s. Prophetic. It's so prophetic yes. that like we look back at it and go, oh, what? there's something kind of creepy about that that, that right. adds to this film's power that you look back Absolutely. at it and you go he saw it all coming man he saw it coming <laughs> yeah if we were just given free reign to broadcast whatever it's at least a certain percentage of it that you can't avoid or couldn't avoid is just nightmare snuff stuff um, there, there. I forget where it was published, but there was a really good article about the people who have to moderate YouTube and Facebook videos and how it just yeah. destroys them psychologically it's really upsetting but it's like that I think of that as well Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I know the one that you mean. And there's, like, these horrible details that, like, now some of the moderators will have become, like, Holocaust deniers. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that. Ooh. They, they be, they've been exposed to so much of this, like, kind of, like, tumorous uh, broadcast that con is constantly going. Uh, and there's, like, there's this really heartbreaking, like, in interview with one of them who's, like, yeah, I now sleep with, like, a rifle next to my bed because, yeah. you know, you never know when somebody might come and kill you. And, like, it, you know, it it genuinely can just, like, alter people's brains in a kind of really fundamental way. Absolutely. Yeah. But the difference is James Wood does it to himself willingly. <laughs> <laughs> At least yeah. he thinks so. <laughs> Yeah, so he's trying to find the most weirdest stuff. Like he actually, it's funny because it starts off with him um, meeting with uh, some representatives from like a Japanese uh, film company, and he's like mad that the porn is like too classy. <laughs> it's like a big giant wooden dildo and like samurais and geisha, and he's like, eh, this is this is this, my audience isn't gonna really think this is anything. This is a little bit boring." Yeah, there's this kind of drive to to so to kind of, and there's a really interesting scene near the beginning where he goes on TV and this is how he meets uh, Nikki, uh, Debbie Harry's character, where he's talking about um, the role of his channel, which is to provide all of these things that people want anyway. So he's not doing anything wrong, right? He's just he's just kind of showing the kind of stuff that people are after anyway. So why could you be mad at that? Because that's what people want to see. So. That's why his channel exists. 
which is a kind of really weaselly defense <laughs> for what he, he ends up oh, he's trying weaselly. to do. Yeah. He's a weaselly he's, man. There's that bit yeah. where he's just walking the hallway and slaps a woman's butt at his work, and I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, he is, you know, ultimately kind of punished um, for that stance, like not caring what he's broadcasting, which is kind of telling considering that this is a movie made by Cronenberg. Right. Like, what is he saying about himself and the images he broadcasts? Because Cronenberg is actually the one who makes Videodrome. He films the stuff and then shows it all to all of us in, you know, in the real world. And uh, James Woods' character, when he tries to do it in, you know, the fictional world of the film, he's destroyed by it in the Lovecraftian uh, way where he's driven mad and mm. ends up uh, killing himself. Um, so what is, I, I just wonder, like, what does Cronenberg think his role is in all this as a director, primarily, certainly at this time, known for broadcasting extremely fucked up images to people? It's a really interesting question. I almost feel like well, there's this there's uh, this interesting dissonance between like Videodrome the thing inside of Videodrome and Videodrome the movie, right? Like Videodrome the movie is it's horrific but like parts of it are like funny and it's very camp, you know, like when he his hand gets sucked into oh, yeah. like the torso vagina and it comes out as a grenade. <laughs> like that's 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 so that gun, ludicrous. Yeah. It's almost funny, right? And then you have, but you have like in like the pre now in the internet days, as you were mentioning, Shannon, like you do not have to reach far to find like videos of actual human beheadings and and all kinds of like monstrosities. Mm -hmm. And in the pre digital age, there were like the faces of death videos that were a mixture Ooh, of like yeah. archival footage of executions and staged activities meant to look real. It's all hearkening back to like this Grand Guignol attitude, where like. You know, like, you don't, I mean, like, throughout history, we've all kind of been like, what is the most horrifying, grotesque spectacle we can absorb without destroying our souls? And I feel like that's kind of like the tension that Cronenberg is pressing on, right? Because, like, Videodrome is like a mind-erasing, body-shattering, Lovecraftian machine. And it's also kind of a funny camp horror movie with, like, vaginal VHS or VCRs or something. It's like, there's, there's an absurdity <laughs> to this, like, duality here. Mm. Uh, I think we've got to talk about um, Marshall McLuhan though, right? Like Cronenberg was a student uh, and went to lectures by Marshall McLuhan like uh, Professor Oblivion is 100% based on Marshall McLuhan so it's not necessarily the it's not necessarily the content because like, like you say Ash, we've always been trying to find really fucked up spectacular stuff to watch but it's the way in which we watch it now. It's the medium that is the most impactful mm -hmm. thing. Um, it's it's the technological distribution and, and proliferation of it. Because it used to be that, you know, if you wanted to get rid of, like, uh, footage of something terrifying, you just destroy the footage. But how can you do yeah. that now? All of that, all of that really messed up stuff that was floating around the early internet it's in it's in so many places that you'll never get rid of it <laughs> you'll never be able to like sanitize that cultural space it's always going to be there i really i really like um McLuhan's, uh play on the um, medium is the message because he would do word puns with message because it's message and mass age and mess age and massage and i think that 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 really works here right because now you can't i mean like the second you post something it's 
functionally indestructible and it spreads and it metastasizes and lives forever. So you have to just cross your fingers and pray that it doesn't hit the wrong audience. But there's also an upside mm-hmm. to that. I was reading, um, and I'll link to it in the show notes, an article on the Black Lives uh, uh, movement. And someone was commenting that like one of the reasons that mobilizing people has been easier now is because of all these videos that show up online. And the second they hit the internet, they go viral. They're everywhere. You can't stop them anymore. And one of the um, organizers was speculating, like, how how bad was this before everybody knew about what was going on everywhere? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it was just happening all the time. But now we all have cameras in our pockets mm-hmm. and we can show everyone immediately. You can live stream your own death by police. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If you like something that black people think about all the times, like, oh, we all have our uh, camera, our live stream thing on our home stream of our phone in case, you know, we're in one of those situations. Yeah. I mean, if anything, like maybe now we can look at video drum and go, yeah, he didn't quite push it far enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh my God. Still, yeah. Sorry. Go on. Oh no! I was just. Gonna I was going to say the it. live streamed. Mo- Sorry. Oh no! Go for it! Go for it! <laughs> the horror of the podcast is actually talking <laughs> about everyone. Yeah. I was just going to say the live streamed uh, mass shooting at the mosque. I think mm-hmm. that was all uploaded. Just stuff like that too. Uh, that's all I was going to say. That what a fucking nightmare yeah. world we live in now. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was just going to say, like, wouldn't it wouldn't it be amazing if like the worst thing coming out of our media was just like one channel that if you watched it, you grew like I don't know, like. Uh, Iron Man gun arms and like weird monstrosities. That was like the worst thing happening. Was that happened to like one in a million people? Yeah, yeah. Because the plan for Video Drum, and again, I I want I want to credit Cronenberg because nothing supernatural happens in this movie. Yep. Everything does mm-hmm. make sense and is explained by the film. Cronenberg, for all you know, like I I usually praise ambiguity from filmmakers, but Cronenberg really, at least in these films, is not interested in ambiguity at all. He wants you to know like what is happening, why it's happening, who the good guys are. Who, I'm not necessarily the good guys. Who the the um, actors are in all this you know that videodrome is being created as a tool to i think uh to toughen up america because they're afraid of like the communist uprising so we're going to turn video use videodrome uh to turn north america into a bunch of savage killers and control them um and like that's all very clearly very quickly very effectively uh explained to us I, i think so many other filmmakers and certainly if it was made now will leave all of that extremely ambiguous but Cronenberg just says no I'm going to tell you what it's about and still like creep you out and show you a mm-hmm. bunch of fucked up stuff yeah absolutely there's no there's no need to be ambiguous right it's weaponizing uh, the broadcast it's weaponizing what is now digital there's this there's this really um, there's this really kind of bleak story that is in Richard Seymour's new book called the twittering machine about a guy in a uh, guy in the uk who was unemployed and like entirely apolitical and you know he was just a bit of an asshole that you probably avoid if you saw him in a bar um and lived in this small place in the middle of nowhere and then started watching loads of right-wing youtube videos and then within within a month was arrested trying to drive his van into a large group outside a mosque in London. And it's like, 
there's this kind of weaponization of information, which is exactly what Videodrome is trying to do, right? It's trying to, it's it's psychological warfare on on a kind of mass scale. Uh, only uh, sad part is there's nobody like Barry Convex controlling it. At least yeah. with Barry, at least Barry Convex is a guy you know. You see him at the eyeglass trade convention. <laughs> yeah. <to> shake his hand. <laughs> Here we just have we just have nothing. We don't know who's control who's behind all of it. It's more like a Mel Gear, uh, solid uh, patriot situation that we got going on. <laughs> yeah, or just all these platforms never being incentivized to stop at Twitter and Facebook, just letting the horrible shit happen, <laughs> and yeah. people keep dying. Yeah, it's and because all of that, all of that horrible shit is extraordinarily profitable, right? That's what Max realizes as soon as he sees it. He goes, "Yeah, we got a good product here. This, this is a hit. This is gonna sell." Mm-hmm. It's like, what does that say about us? About the people who, who go, oh, this is terrible, but still, yeah, we know it would sell. We know it would sell. <laughs> it says very good things about us, John. <laughs> Yep, uh, ex- extremely, extremely healthy and regular, and totally fine in every way. It's a, it's a positive, hopeful I know, message. From... <laughs> I know. Growing up on the internet, uh, I have a very normal brain and a very normal, regular sense of humor. I was gonna say it's yep. crazy that like Goatsy is just like a regular meme or something that's recognized. Yeah. That image would have been like so upsetting forty years ago or whatever, and so offensive. And everyone I know who grew up on the internet, it doesn't even register as. I mean, it's gross, but it's also like, oh yeah, that's a meme. <laughs> it's horrible, weird image. And it's been like it's been really interesting to see that stuff get defanged, sort of right? Because like I, I remember when yes. like people would send Goatsy around over like instant messaging services and email and shit and be like oh dude like ch- 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 hit that link really quick and just check it out and you'd be like goats eh that's it. oh god you know and like and now it's just like <laughs> every time it's just like I don't know anything with an O in the middle people are like oh it's a goatsy meme yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I wanted to give a shout out again to uh, the, when the character actor who does the funny stuff in the film, uh, Peter Dvorsky. He was just this Canadian character actor that mm-hmm. who plays Harlan, the guy who actually uh, operates the pirate satellite in the um, mm-hmm. in the TV station. And um, James Woods sees him repeatedly throughout the show, and he always calls him Patron for some reason. <laughs> right. Like they have this little inside joke with each other. Great detail. Yeah. Like all his scenes are like just very fun and very funny. I just want to, you know, shout out to Cronenberg for adding in. He always, in all, almost all his films, he has that little character, you know, that's a little bit mischievous, a little bit fun, maybe a little bit dangerous, just who just kind of sits in the room waiting for the main character to come and ask him a question to move the <laughs> plot for. It's just, I just love it. <laughs> um, it is, it is strange how this plot moves forward though, isn't it? Because, you know, he has the meeting with Debbie Harry's character. She, they watch Videodrome together in, uh, again, this really, it's it's a kind of weirdly sexual and deeply sort of creepy and upsetting scene where uh, he she asks him to cut her. Um, and then she goes, I'm going to go on the show. I And... He's like, no, no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, because even he knows on some level, hey, that's probably not a great idea, right? But then she just sort of disappears out of the narrative for a huge chunk of the film until 
making a very important reappearance. <laughs> yeah, after that point, um, after she goes to Pittsburgh, which is where they think um, Videodrome is uh, being broadcast from, she only appears on uh, through TV. Um, mm. Which is important because he has sex with his TV at some point. So the relationship does not end even after her own death, uh, no. apparent death, because she keeps appearing to him on TV, on videotape, which is kind of one of the themes of the movie where Brian Oblivion, you find out, has been dead the whole time. He's just been living on video. And his theory is that... Um, you are you are just more alive on the screen than you are in real life, which is uh, very uh, McLuhan uh, like uh, theory um, uh, for him to have, and it's kind of you know makes you think about. So how does that work in the real world? Like how do you create a posting legacy that will outlive <laughs> you? <Yeah. laughs> um, oh, but but can you? I mean, like that's that's the question, right? Well, you... well, well. The thing about Videodrome is, it's you know, everybody like people take the time to notice the uh, the individual posters. He care, he wants to know Brian Oblivion. Mm-hmm. He cares mm-hmm. about uh, De- uh, Nikki. Um, mm-hmm. But in you know, on Twitter, nobody gives a shit about you. If any of us die, nobody will really <laughs> right. notice that we stop posting. I'm also imagining Brian Ob- Oblivion's daughter going through his drafts. And then posting for him after he's dead, like thousands of drafts. Oh my god! Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs> okay, this is the one for today. Here, take these that'll... tweets. Go look at them. That'll that'll do the numbers that we need. <laughs> Just constantly posting. Check out my SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god! I would absolutely die for the Doctor Oblivion video where he just plugs his Patreon. <laughs> Listeners can get okay, access to rough cuts. <laughs> yeah. Smash that like and, button, fam. And the Oblivion and, and the Oblivion Discord server. <laughs> but it's a, that's the kind of bleak, bleak, bleak question at the heart of it, right? Like, especially watching this retroactively at the time. Uh, I don't know. Like the eighties was like the end of history. Like technology was great. Everything was good. Like whatever, there was a kind of real kind of technological utopia in the air that you could, you could solve everything with good uh, Silicon Valley uh, industrialization. Yeah. There's a, there's a line in the movie where it's like, we need to move ourselves forward as technological creatures. That's, that's how they describe humanity. Like what's the next step for us? Yeah, totally. And and now we're seeing the kind of like there was a price to that. But also none of us none of us would stop posting. None of, yeah. none of us none of us will stop. <laughs> like in in such a, like a bad trade-off because we don't get like the high that James Woods gets when he sees Videodrome. None of us have looked at Twitter with that sort of wonder <laughs> and awe. But we only, we only get, you know, the tumor that tells us to kill. We don't get any of the good stuff. Just all the lows, none of the highs. This is yeah. not the pr- uh, future we were promised by Videodrome. <laughs> we don't even get the the exciting dystopia. Like, we don't even get the exciting version of the techno-futuristic uh, nightmare scenario. We get the really boring one. Yes. Where, where you go, uh, time to log on and be depressed and horrified, uh, but I'm going to do it every single day for the rest of my life. 
Like, I could have gotten a weird stomach vagina, but instead I tell a joke and five men explain it to me. That's the feature. That's what we have. It's great. This this makes me wonder that if, like, a wizard appeared to teenage me and they were like, you could have a vagina that's a VCR, but it's in your chest, or you can have a website that you check once every 20 minutes and everything you see causes you great psychological pain. This this this, this feels like <laughs> a Greek torment or something. <laughs> yeah, s- somewhere the 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 finger on the monkey's paw twitches. Right, and the yeah. future is changed. <laughs> yes, yeah, S- S- Sisyphus is rolling that boulder up the hill, and he's like, "Oh, at least I don't have to fucking deal with Twitter." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, but like, I I think that's that's what I think fascinates me about this film, which is like the politics of it, right? How do we kind of reconcile? The fact that that is what posting is like. That is, you know, we've all been irony poisoned uh, by the internet. Uh, how do we, can you, can you kind of use that in a way that's politically meaningful? Um, or are we all going to be just like James Woods from now on? <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting question. Because, you know, I feel like watching a lot of Cronenberg, the politics aren't you know like very necessarily apparent it's much he seems more interested in just like the psychological realm like what is it yeah totally like what does it mean to deal with this problem to have this obsession to have this um fascination it's not really you know extracted to a larger political sense even though like this is technically a political thriller right like this is yeah, like yeah. this is like a manchurian candidate this is manchurian <laughs> candidate um uh but it's not really like the <laughs> politics behind it are still based on like these this psychological impulse like america needs to toughen up because uh north america needs to toughen up because these other countries are getting tougher too that's it's not really like a political statement. It's just like we need to be like better posters so that we can handle survive the posting wars. And it's not really <laughs> any larger political sense behind it. So I didn't really grasp from at least from Videodrome any larger political like thing to hold on to or prescription because it really is just kind of a, a nightmare. Um, and yeah. there are no like good guys or bad guys or hope or anything it's just like um the, i guess the only thing you could try to do is stop videodrome which i guess tech <laughs> which you think james woods does but i don't think he does because i think brian oblivion's daughter just videodromes him and <laughs> yeah. now she has all that power mm. yeah Rewatching it i did think it was very interesting that his like uh chest vagina becomes almost empowering towards the end i had kind of forgotten mm-hmm. about that like the weird psychosexual aspects where he uh fucks up that guy's hand and turns it into a bomb yeah. uh, i was like that's kind of cool or, or like <laughs> taking on this like weird like uh, uh like the the feminine is horror or whatever kind of thing that you like the cis men being terrified of vaginas but then it's like it becomes a part of him i would say mm. more more than the gun or it's not necessarily what destroys him like I said, on a rewatch, I was like, that's kind of cool that it becomes this weird, like, vagina dentata bomb-making <laughs> flesh bomb <laughs> thing. I was like, that's yeah. neat. I really I really like that reading, especially because, like, it is the, I don't know, I don't know what we're going to call this thing, the chest vagina VCR that eats the gun, which in turn gives him <laughs> the, like, 
Ray, yeah, it gets it's a purse. The biological it's a purse. horror it's Mega a Man gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a purse. Yeah, he's got a purse. It's good. It's convenient. Exactly. He can put stuff there when he doesn't want to carry it. Yeah. What it, I mean, what ends up destroying him is the gun that right. he's yeah. told. He's shown how to shoot himself, and he shoots himself. The uh, yeah. I think. I think that yeah, like you say, Leslie. Like a lot of the politics are always kept deeply ambiguous. But I don't know. For me, watching this, it's there's always the possibility that like like we can't become untechnological creatures like we're enmeshed in technology like as we talk to each other you know there's nothing we can do about that but maybe uh what we can do is we can kind of try and re rethink what the relationship is between the techno the various technological selves that we kind of move through and with like as we post every day I don't know. I don't know if that's much to hang things on from a kind of political point of view, but um, you know, maybe that's the only possible hopeful reading that you can get out of Videodrome. Yeah, I think maybe the best thing you could say is that you know, pay attention to who is broadcasting things yeah. to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like be cognizant of it because I mean, that's kind of what the end of the movie uh, really focuses on. It's like we find out who's broadcasting Videodrome and why. Um, they're using James Woods uh, as an assassin so they could take over uh, his network, which is a not very ambitious uh, plan, I have to say. They could just Works. bought it out. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't want to go for Fox News or anything like that. But, you know, maybe you know, we they want, were already we want Canadian on Canadian public access, man. That's how this starts. <laughs> uh, but we we've, we've look at the end, and then, of course, Brian Oblivion's daughter, she undoes it and then puts her own tape in, which tells mm-hmm. him to turn on the Videodrome creators and, I think, kill himself as well. And so he's just like, be careful. Like, you know, you don't want to um, just passively take in anything that's broadcast to you because there's probably a person behind it trying to uh influence you in some way Mm. i really i really like that read and i think um you know one of the interesting things about horror is it always kind of like invites an inverse discussion right like as i I rewatched videodrome this morning and one of the things i kept thinking about was like okay like they've made this evil technology that can give you like mind-melting space tumors through the television. I mean, like, that invites, like, the theoretical question of, like, okay, like, could we imagine a world where there's, like, posicore videodrome, and instead of evil vagina tumor things, you get, like, really good vibes and basic healthcare through your videodrome <laughs> technology? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's certainly lots of dystopian sci-fi that's kind of, Right. Um, about that, uh, but one that's kind of like not so dystopian is a novel uh, called Forever Peace. Most people have heard of Forever War, which is mm. you know the sci-fi novel is kind of um, like an allegory for um, the Vietnam War, um, which you know all the military sci-fi novels are. But the sequel Forever Peace, what they what happens is they discover that so all of these 
soldiers they have like these mech suits that they pilot um with their mind um not they're not in the suit they sit in a room and connect these helmets to their head and it psychically um links them to the suit and they pilot from that way what they find out is they if they network all the soldiers together for a certain amount of time that soldier is no longer capable of doing violence or harm to any other human being because they've spent so much time uh with somebody else's consciousness so they plan mm. so the plan is that they go around and link up like all the generals all the politicians to these machines in order to turn them into just these completely you know not 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 passive but you know incapable of waging war anymore uh forcing of. them to feel empathy yes yes it basically turns it into empathy this machine of war is turned into a machine for empathy well, that's a cool way of kind of rewiring the new flesh. Yeah. <laughs> right? I yeah, mean, watch video drone with your friends. Do it all together. <laughs> Sit all together and watch it. That's what Ebert called film, the machine that generates empathy. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's along those same lines. That, there, there's almost an irony to that um, too, right? Because we all watched video drone and now we're like having this conversation i think this is i mean like this is definitely the first time i've i've talked with either of you and i think it's john's as well so it's like almost in in a way video drum created some new friendships today <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh we we've learned about the the horrifying power of letting technology melt your brain and also <laughs> the the power of friendship <laughs> um well that's video drum which is amazing and and thoroughly depressing when you look look at it from the kind of from the posters mindset um but should we should we maybe talk a talk a little bit about scanners yes uh but just to note videodrome another tight 90 one hour yes. and 26 <laughs> minutes i loved that nothing so needs much. to be three hours yes <laughs> Nothing makes me happier on this earth than a movie that is a crisp 90 minutes. And if you if you can do it in fucking 75, do that shit in 75, man. <laughs> you give me, you give me a nine-hour Marvel weird. movie? No. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, which is like the cinematic equivalent of just like being force-fed gray porridge over and over again. And then you have this, which is like... Just a punch in the face, and it's oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so scanners. Let's, huh? let's let's talk about let's talk about scanners and that film with that the GIF is from. Cronenberg's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so a new machine you, here. Could you, could you could you again? Would you mind giving us a a quick plot recap? Yes. Although this one is way worse. Uh, historically, ever since the Lumiere brothers invented cinema as we know it, there has been one constant, unreachable goal. Méliès, Kubrick, Tarkovsky, all unable to reach this one cinematic height. That peak? Depicting psychic powers on screen in a way that makes it look like your actor is anything other than awkwardly constipated. Cronenberg, like Prometheus, <laughs> reaches for this flame and must ever live with the consequences of his actions. <laughs> That is my wow, like. Oh, I, I love I love the lockdown shot when we see like the first use of psychic powers, and it's just the the, the two guys and one they're they're just kind of like flailing their heads about in slow motion. It's just the most beautifully <laughs> weird shit. Do you know how they actually? I looked I looked this up. Do you know how they actually got the got the shot? 
No, what they do? Of of so <laughs> they tried a few things and apparently nothing was really working. And so the effects, uh, the effects t- guy said, okay. And they built this kind of wax model and filled it with, um, like some junk and some scraps of like string that would like fly through the air nicely and some like spare burgers from the catering van. <laughs> and then the guy got, got down behind it. Yeah. Uh, told everybody to get back and just blew it the fuck up with a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they originally wanted Mike or Iron said to just like stay there for it. And he was like, fuck no. <laughs> Wisely. <laughs> but I'm like, that's that's punk as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. So scanners, we we what 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 is everybody's thoughts? What are, I, I I just have to say, like, you know, scanners is is a very like, I I really love this movie because it is basically like again we Cronenberg all self contained. Nothing supernatural happening. We all know why the scanners have their powers and they have those little mm-hmm. gray streaks in their hair. We know mm-hmm. about their world. And it's basically like a X-Men story, like really yeah. compressed down. Not quite a tight 90, a tight 100, but still <laughs> we get everything that we need to know ever about like mutants with abilities uh, being discovered in the world and having powers and all this stuff. And he does it really well, uh, really quickly. And it's, it's just like a, a wonderful film. The score is absolutely oh, so good, fantastic, and it helps elevate this movie. It help like a, a lot of the scenes in this film are just made by that wonderful like roaring score. Um, I, I think the elephant in the room with with scanners is always always Stephen Lack's uh, performance um, as uh, Cameron Vale, the main character. Because even though Stephen Lack is, you know, David Kroberg known as for its interesting casting choices, casting people who aren't actors or, <laughs> uh, or who are singers, who are adult performers. Um, and with this, Stephen Lack is an actor, but his performance is very like wooden, mm-hmm. super, super wooden, but deliberately so because we're supposed to think of him as a guy who's thinks he's been suffering from schizophrenia for all these years when actually he's professor x yeah <laughs> yeah yeah basically um no um, sorry go on shannon this was my first time seeing scanners uh, last night and i enjoyed it but probably the least out of the the four films that we talked about on a uh, struggle session and then uh horror vanguard same in this two-parter um mm. i just think his even it being deliberate his before i had trouble like connecting to the character and there were a lot of incredible moments in it and i still really enjoyed it i think it's like a a a wild legendary movie but i just didn't uh it was the last one we watched and we were finishing up at like six in the morning and it was kind of like okay and then it got to the last 10 minutes and it was amazing yeah Um, (laughs) yeah and one thing i wanted to note is like watching the 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 mom in the brood and jeff goldblum and the main character in this all have very big expressive eyes like Mm -hmm. big anime eyes (laughs) i was like weird thinking about cronenberg's casting of people who just have these like big very human and the eyes are actually like a plot point at the very end of the the movie yeah Um, yeah but like deliberately taking people who are so expressive and almost like a child, like have big expressive faces and then just doing terrible things too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ash? 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it was, um, oh God, was it Ebert when this movie came out? It was like, it's kind of plotting, but the effects are cool. Like the, like, I feel like this isn't, this definitely isn't Cronenberg's tightest work. Like, I feel like, like, yeah, like, like, as you were saying, Leslie, like it, you're, you're break, you're breaking past that 90 and I'm not quite sure he really needed to on this one. So like out of these four, I think it's definitely the weakest contender. But with that said, like, People are blowing up each other's heads with mind powers, and I'm really never going to say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick McGowan is there. Patrick McGowan is in it. It's, it's, again, an incredible casting choice. He's amazing. Everything he says. I love him so much. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I think I agree with all of you, actually, that uh, the thing that got me is that I do think the pacing is noticeably off, especially after watching all the other films that we've talked about where the structure and pacing is so tight and nothing feels wasted. Um, also, the action scenes in this are really strangely shot. The, the act, cause it's like, it's the one with like actually quite a lot of dudes pulling guns yeah. on people. And, shotguns. Uh, it's all shotguns. <laughs> it's all, it's all shotguns. Uh, the framing of it and the shot selection is really kind of static. Uh, and it's very clear that he is not an—he's not a director who's like, how do we choreograph a really cool gunfight? Yeah. That is not mm-hmm. what David Cronenberg is doing. No, no, he's not interested um, in it at all. But he—he ha- kind of has to do it because, like, yeah. he creates this world and he has to end it too. He has to kill all the scanners um, for almost all of them before the end. So he's kind of forced to have a like a big uh, shootout <laughs> where all the X Men die. Yeah, and they've all got shotguns for some reason. <laughs> so you fight psychics. It's shotgun. No That's, other kind of guns. Right. No other kind of gun would work with psychics. We all know this now. That so, listeners, if you are trying to take on a psychic who can melt your head, make sure you've got a shotgun. That's otherwise you're done for. But I mean, I think it's all made up for with the the ending action scene, where oh it's just two men just like shaking and staring yeah. at each other <laughs> and it's the most That's all it is and it's the most intense and engaging last fight scene of any film pretty much period the music does it perfectly the pacing the cuts mm-hmm. everything in it is just like perfect up in that point in that moment and you really get like there's and there's emotional weight to it too because yeah. these two men are brothers and they want to work together they want to be together but like michael einstein's character he is the magneto of uh the (laughs) scanners and wants to Mm -hmm. you know kind of take um over the world and um and those normals yeah yeah yeah. and he and the uh, other character uh cameron vale he doesn't want to he he wants to you know he just wants peace he just kind of just wants to find out who he is and not you know immediately be dominated and so you have this you know amazing amazing battle with all these practical effects it's on youtube if you haven't seen it yet Mm -hmm. you even maybe if you don't don't even have to watch the movie just watch that scene and it's just like god it's so fucking perfect it's beautiful it's beautiful yeah, you and mentioned you compare it to like the way so many. Sorry, Ash, go on. I was going to say you mentioned uh, the Metal Gear franchise earlier, and this this last fight, it's the fight with Psychomantis. I'm just waiting for someone to plug into the second player yeah. slot and defeat the other one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's literally what happens. Yeah, man. Um, I was just going to say, you know, you compare this to like so many 
other kind of like contemporary action thrillers which will end they'll be three hours long and they'll end with like 20 minutes of explosions in in a nondescript location where you can't really like when nothing has any stakes or any weight to it and everything just get, gets kind of lost in the noise and then you just have two people in a room staring at each other and it's that, that's that's all you need yeah it put down the shotguns david yeah it's like it's like yeah it's like sad it's shocking kind of like cameron Vale, like your hero the guy who you're in it to you know cheer on like he gets his eyes blown out and his mm-hmm. body lit on fire and destroyed and you're like oh fuck what's happening and then it just takes this turn and like it's just I, I've watched it at least a hundred times, and I'm not <laughs> tired of it. It is just so good at building tension using like, like psychic fight scenes are just so ludicrous in cinema. Like it's so yes ridiculous to depict somebody kind of like because because what are you gonna do? It's all you awkwardly hold your head, you grin, and you like shake a little bit, and even like or they do the, the cheat where they go into like the psychic world and you just oh, sh- yeah, yeah. show an actual fight scene that takes place in their mind. They do that mm, a lot. Yeah, yeah, right. And like, you, which you, is a cop out, I think. <laughs> yeah, very much so. You, so you you've got like. All like the most ridiculous, unfilmable, like possible, like setup. Two ultimately powered psychics are going to have a mind battle, which is them just staring at each <laughs> other and shaking. And it has infinitely more tension than the hundreds of millions of dollars poured into the endgame Thanos fight. It's just it's it's mind boggling yeah. yeah. how like like the levels of competency and success here. Absolutely, those veins. Oh, splurting oh, blood so, i was yeah. just like whoa that looked incredible that's where all the budget went right. like three minutes and it was all worth it um but the like to get there though there is this there's this kind of slightly slightly meandering story about like basically a private military corporation and like an underground network of like uh psychics who seem to live in the suburbs somewhere yeah <laughs> like baby formula an artist right. and then there's baby and so it, yeah, the baby psychic the baby psychic yeah the, scanned the by a baby, baby. yeah the, yes you get scanned by the 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 in utero base baby psychic that was great just the zoom uh, in was... the, the pregnant woman's belly. I was like, what is happening? Is someone hiding in there? <laughs> and the answer is the answer is yes. Yes, there is someone hiding in there. <laughs> um so I don't I don't know. I think I think the, the the plot is a little bit weird and I find it I find it strange that someone who is clearly so interested in like psychological themes goes into this film where like you know, for a long time you go, oh yeah, so he's working for this corporation, which is basically like a defense contractor that he's trying to help. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't, I don't know what you all thought about that. Yeah, again, I just, I, it just to me is just I kind of took it at face value as just like this is like his version of like creating like a kind of like a superhero story mm. and he does add his Cronenberg twist he kills most of the heroes um mm-hmm. the hero the main hero has to go about uh, go out living in the body of the main villain um it's all like because of like this government running experiment 
I like the idea of reading this as a kind of Cronenberg's take on the superhero movie. Um, and I think that that ending, especially of having your main, your protagonist and your antagonist basically uh, melded into one, is is a gutsier move than any other superhero film would ever try and pull. <laughs> well, while he's talking t- about daddy, he started. Yeah. I was thinking of the brood. He's like, yeah, daddy did this, and I was like, yes. <laughs> it's either flesh or daddy that's what's happening in these movies uh, to be fair that was the original ending of terminator salvation uh oh, christian right, bale well. was supposed to be in the other guy's body at the end Ooh. but it tested poorly so they uh just kept it as christian bale and then never made a sequel so it didn't matter that's how audiences steal <laughs> everything good happens? in this world yeah you see what happens when you stick to your convictions you know you could <laughs> Think what could have been. <laughs> <laughs> any 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 final thoughts then on Cronenberg? Is there anything else that we wanted to talk about? Um, I just want to say, like, I think his this run uh, that starts, you know, at the beginning of his career, uh, with you know, from like Shivers mm-hmm. to Dead Ringers, like. All those films are good, basically. I haven't mm-hmm. seen Fast Company, but like everything else is just mm-hmm. like an amazing film, a timeless film, film you have to watch if you love horror at all. I would love to see him try to uh, do, uh, do another horror movie again, because I don't think he really has done like a straight up horror movie uh, since uh, Dead Ringers in 1988. Maybe you can call like Existence. Maybe uh, kind of a horror movie, but I don't think he really has done one um, in a while. So stop trying to win that Oscar, David, <laughs> um, uh, and try yeah, and come do, back to us. You don't need it. You don't need it. Just keep making. Just keep making the weird, the gross, the really funny, and the kind of bleak, and we'll be there for it. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, thank you, thank you so much to uh, Leslie and Shannon. Uh, please do uh, start listening to Struggle Session if you don't already. If you do listen, please do think about supporting them through Patreon. Please do subscribe to Shannon's YouTube channel and check out Critical Bits. Uh, what's the name of the show as well? Sorry, uh, the podcast. Critical Bits. Critical Bits. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I've, I've, I doubted myself for a second. Um, <laughs> as, yeah. as always, we will put. Um, links to social media and all of their stuff that you can check out their work in the show notes below this thank you thanks for having us us. oh that was so much fun fun. yeah uh but other than that thank you very much for coming on and have an amazing halloween peace thanks for tuning in creeps and comrades and remember stay Stay spooky. spooky